Welcome to Glory Stories with Dr. Elizabeth Vaughn. Dr. Vaughn was one of the top eye surgeons in America and has traveled to many countries in the world preaching the Word of God. She also opened up an eye surgery center in Beijing, China, where she did free eye surgery on those in need. Dr. Vaughn will be sharing many of her personal experiences from God. In addition, you will hear of others that have known God in an intimate way and seen His miracle-working power. As you hear about how God has worked in the lives of others, our hope is that you will be changed forever. Get ready for God to heal you, deliver you, and transform your life as you sit back and enjoy these glory stories. Welcome to Glory Stories today. I'm going to share with you one of the most important things that I've learned in my life. It came about by a sequence of revelations that I'm going to share with you. Uh, the first one was a number of years ago when I read a publication by Kenneth E. Hagen. It you know, he was a man that Jesus himself visited Kenneth Hagen on several occasions and would teach him things. And on this occasion, uh, he was telling, he was teaching Hagen about the demonic. <clears throat> so he tells, he's talking on one, here's Jesus and here's Hagen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus is talking to Hagen, telling him about the demonic. And all of a sudden, a black cloud comes up between the two of them. And so Hagen can no longer see Jesus. And in a few minutes, then not only a black cloud, which was a demonic force, <clears throat> he could see this little demon in the middle and the demon was saying, yucky, 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 yucky. It was just totally disturbing so that Hagen could now, not only could he not see Jesus, he could also not hear Jesus. So he was missing everything that Jesus was saying, which was very annoying to him. So finally, you know, he's thinking in his mind, why doesn't Jesus do something about this? Doesn't, doesn't the Lord see this demon force here in the, interrupting our conversation? Why doesn't he do something about it? But nothing was being done, so Hagen finally just gets fed up with it, and so he speaks to the demon, and he says, you be quiet in the name of Jesus. And the thing fell to the floor, plopped like a bag of salt. He says, get out of here in Jesus' name, and it runs out the door. The demonic force does. So now he can see Jesus again. He can hear Jesus again. And so he says, Lord, why didn't you do something about this? You know, so often that's a question that, that we ask of the Lord too. Why, why did you permit this? Why did you permit this to happen in my life? Why didn't you do something about this in my life? Is that a question you've ever heard before or maybe you've had that yourself? Well, let me tell you what Jesus said. He said something that really was shocking to Hagen. Jesus said, if you hadn't done that, I couldn't have. And Hagen says, oh, I, 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 I misunderstood you, Lord. You, you didn't, and so Jesus repeats it. If you hadn't done that, I couldn't have. And Hagen still didn't. He said, I just, I can't, I just can't, I must not be hearing you right. Jesus said it the third time. I said, if you hadn't done that, I couldn't have. And Hagen says, I'm sorry, Lord. I know that it's you, but I won't accept this unless you can prove it to me from the, the scriptures, from the Bible. And so he, Jesus said, well, he'd be happy to do that. So he points out Matthew 28, where Jesus says, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. And he said, if you stopped reading there, you'd say, well, I, well, Jesus, you do have all power on earth. But he said, you need to keep reading because the next verse says, go ye therefore into all the world. He said, I, at that point, I delegated my power on this earth 
to you. I delegated it to you. To, I'm ta he's talking about human beings, not just Kenneth Hagin. And then the next verse that he gave him was out of Mark, the 16th chapter, the 17th verse, where Jesus is speaking again, and he says, he said, uh, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out demons. They shall speak with other tongues. And he goes on, and they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. He said, see, I've given you the authority to cast out demons. He, he says, I've already done everything about demons that I'm ever going to do. It's now up to you to deal with these demon forces. I've given you the authority. The Word of God says, I give you power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. So he's given us the power to deal with the demonic forces on this earth. You know, they didn't have, they didn't have rulership when it all started. When the whole thing started and, and God created man, he created Adam and then he created Eve, and he said to them, he says, I give you dominion over all the works of my hands. So everything that God created, he was giving dominion to, to human beings over all of that. He didn't give it to Satan, he gave it to human beings. But then you probably know the story how Adam and Eve sinned because they disobeyed God. They ate of a tree that he told them specifically not to eat from. And in that disobedience, they, they relegated their own position and, and gave it really to the demonic forces. And so Satan was, then became the ruler of the earth until Jesus came. When Jesus came, he shed his blood. He went, actually, Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, he descended into the depths of hell. And the word of God tells us that he, he stripped the, the demonic forces of their power in hell. And he made an open, a show of them openly, triumphing over them in the cross. So Jesus triumphed over them. He took the power away from them and gave it back to us again. Us meaning those people that believe in Jesus. These signs shall follow them that believe. He's talking about believe in Jesus, that rely on him, lean on him, cling to him, believe that he's the Lord and Savior of their life. Those people are the people that have power over the demonic because they only have power over the demonic in the name of Jesus. That's why when Hagen told this little impish devil, he says, you be quiet in the name of Jesus. He did it in the name of Jesus. So I learned from that then that Jesus, he, he, will, he will do things through us, but we're the ones that have to cooperate and say the words and do the things. We're the ones. He's given us the authority. So when, when Hagen says to the demonic force, be quiet and leave in Jesus' name. When he says in Jesus' name, Jesus is there to enforce what he's saying. He makes the demon flee. Christ in Hagen makes the demon flee. So <clears throat> I learned then through that that not only do we need Jesus, Jesus needs us. He needs, he needs a body to work through. Well, Another example that he showed, out, showed to me was through the life of Smith Wigglesworth. When Wigglesworth was called to go to a, a place 200 miles away where they had a, a daughter in the household that was totally demon-possessed and they were distraught, they didn't know what to do, and, and so they called on Wigglesworth to come, and he went the 200 miles. The father in the family issues him uh, up two flights of stairs and down a hallway. He opens the door. He shoves Wigglesworth in and shuts the door behind him. 
and Wigglesworth sees in this room a young woman in her early 20s pinned to the floor by five strong men. When the, when the young girl sees Wigglesworth, she throws off by demonic power. She was filled with demonic power. She throws off these five men and she comes and she glares in his face and she says, you can't cast me out. And Wigglesworth says, I can't, but Jesus is in me and Jesus can cast them out. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, I cast out these devils out of you. I bind them away from you. In Jesus' name, you leave this girl. And the demons started coming out one by one. They came out and called their names as they went out. 34 demons left that young woman that day. And when all 34 of them were gone out of her, she stood up in her right mind again, went down the two flights of stairs, and joined her family at the dinner table. You see, Jesus needs a body. He needed Wigglesworth's body to go to that girl that day and cast out those demonic forces. That's the name that I'm sharing with you today. Jesus needs a body. Actually, I've written a book by that title. <clears throat> it's available to you if you want to go to my website and find it. Jesus needs a body. So the third thing that, that I ran across, I'm showing you a sequence of events in my life that made it very clear to me that Jesus needs a body. So the third thing that happened is I read an article by a man who was transported by the Spirit of God to a foreign country by Kyrgyzstan, and it was dusty there. And he, he describes how he found himself standing next to Jesus. I'm going to read to you some of what this man says. <clears throat> His name is James Maloney, and this is what he said. I turned to my left and saw Jesus standing next to me. Then I noticed a crowd of about 500 Picture, if you will, every kind of conceivable sickness, infirmity, and disease known to mankind. I've never seen such a sea of humanity suffering with disease. As Jesus and I walked together, now, now I'm going to point some things out to you as we go. At this point, he's saying Jesus was walking and he was walking and they were two separate beings, right? As Jesus and I walked together. We came upon a man, if you could call him that, emaciated and contorted, drawn up legs and mangled arms, lying at the Lord's feet. He was about three feet in height and maybe 60 pounds. His stomach was bloated and his ribs were protruding. There were no signs of recognition in his eyes. He was absolutely a vegetable. As the man came into focus, I was now seeing through Jesus' eyes as if the man was lying at my feet. And now, as I reached out my hand, I recognized them as my own, but they were the Lord's hands, as if he had stepped into me and was moving through me. You see? You see something's happening here. The name we're talking about, the title we're talking about is Jesus Needs a Body. So Jesus, when he was going to touch the man and heal the man, he then went into James's body, and the hand that was reached out was James's hand slash Jesus's hand. It was a combined hand, but he was using the body of a, of a human being, James. The power was totally the Lord's alone, but he was choosing to move through me. I was no longer just myself. I was in Jesus and he in me. I laid my slash his hands on the wasted vegetative man, 
There was no struggle. There's no fight against the demonic, no binding, no loosing, no praying, no sputtering. The man was healed, as simple as that. Within 10 seconds, he was standing before me slash him. The proper weight, the proper height, all infirmity and lameness gone, and his eyes were clear, and he praised God in his native tongue. He'd grown nearly three feet in less than a quarter of a minute. Amazing, amazing. That's what God can do. That's what Jesus can do through a body if he can find a body. <clears throat> Before I can even comprehend what was happening, Jesus turned to another person. Okay, now Jesus was outside of James, and Jesus turned to another person. However... It was a child in crippling condition. The limbs were all withered. Once again, I found myself in Jesus or him in me. And as I stretched forth my hand slash his hand toward the child before I even knew what, what to say, he was whole and running perfectly on perfect limbs. You know, then this continued like this. The next thing they came to was conjoined twins. And as James saw it through his eyes slash the eyes of Jesus, the conjoined tw twins were you know, conjoined twins means the two babies that were intended to be two human beings, but they were joined at some part of their body into where they, they were not separated. But that's conjoined twins. But when, when Jesus and James looked at these children, they became separated into two human beings and they began to, to run and jump around and all filled with joy and glee because now they were two separate people. They could now each be individuals instead of being joined together in one. The next person they came to was someone that was, uh, he, he was, he was basically just a torso. He didn't have any arms. He didn't have any legs. He was just a torso. Can you imagine that? And again, as Jesus was manifesting himself through James, and they reached, James reached out his slash Jesus' hand, this torso leapt, for, leapt up with now legs. He just, he just unfolded like a rose, and he now had arms and legs, and he was running around praising and worshiping God. So the thing that I want you to see that I saw through all of this is that whenever whenever Jesus wanted to do a healing, he entered into James's body and through the human being, Jesus did the healing. At the end of this, they were separated again. Jesus was standing by James and Jesus said, am I not God? Am I not creator? Is there anything too difficult for me? I love that. I can just see, can you see this massive humanity? They're clamoring for Jesus. They're clamoring just to get a touch from him through James. And, and, and there he is. He's standing separate now from James. Am I not God? Am I not creator? See, he created the limbs on crippled people. He created the arms and the legs on someone that was only a torso. He created eyes where their one person had no, just white orbs in, in there. They had no pupils, no eyes, just white balls. And, and through the power of Jesus Christ, they suddenly got pupils and they could see. And, and, they, and they were shocked by being able to see for the first time in their lives. And their, the pupil constricted to the light that they were seeing. He, he's a creator. That's why he says, am I not God? Am I not creator? <clears throat> Is anything too difficult for me? <clears throat> Excuse me. So again, I was learning from a third source. 
that Jesus needs a body to work through. Then I ran across a story by a woman named Clarice. Funny story. She's a funny lady. She grew up in the Presbyterian church, the Methodist church, the Baptist church, the Episcopal church. And through that life's journey, she had gotten some really strange thinking, wrong thinking. And in her thinking, she was thinking that a woman could only minister to other women and not to men, which is crazy. But anyway, that's what she was thinking. And she already had the anointing of God. She was a powerful woman in God. So she would go around and minister to women's groups. But this one time she came to a church. The pastor of the church named Earl came out and met her. And uh, he said, well, come on in. Uh, we're going to have church here today. And she said, oh, 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 now wait a minute. Now, I didn't come to go to a church service that has men. I only minister to women. He says, well, I'm sorry, little lady, you're all we've got. So just come on in, you know. So she, she was in a position where she had to do something she had never done before. So she was very, very nervous about it, very nervous. And <clears throat> he said, if you do a good job, I'll give you 10 bucks. So he was just jovial and laughing and having a good time. And she was scared, scared, scared. So she went in there. She was kind of forced into this predicament. She had a lady named Linda that was playing the piano with her as she was traveling to various churches. So <clears throat> Linda's playing the piano. The choir gets up and they sing their songs. And uh, another person speaks and then another person speaks. And finally it's time and he calls on Clarice. <clears throat> Clarice steps up to the podium and she says a couple of sentences. And about that time, Pastor Earl falls dead on the podium. She said, I knew I wasn't supposed to speak with men in the crowds. Uh, he's fallen dead. And then his wife, Earl's wife, is screaming, Earl, Earl, and his children, Daddy, Daddy. And all the people in the congregation are, are just, you know, shocked because Earl just fell dead on the platform. So Clarice is standing over by the piano, and Linda says, her pianist, Linda says to her, well, what do you want to do? And Clarice says, what do you mean what I, what I want? I want to go home. She said, I never wanted to cook biscuits so bad in my whole life. She just wanted out of there. And the paramedics come. They beat on his chest. They can't revive him. He's just, he's just dead. About that time, the Lord speaks to Clarice, and he says, go over there and raise that man from the dead. Jesus, I can't imagine talking to the Lord this way, but she did. She said, Lord, you go over there and raise that man from the dead. He said, I, this will change your life. He said, I can't go over there. You take me over there. He says, nothing manifests in this dimension without a body. That's what Jesus told her. Nothing manifests in this earthly dimension without a body. So she says, well, Lord, let me explain something to you. She said, if I walk over there and you change your mind between here and there, I'm going to fall dead right on top of dead Earl, and you're going to have two dead people to deal with because that's what's going to happen. He didn't even answer her. He just says, go do what I told you. He said, you lay your hands on Earl, you bind the power of death, and you loose resurrection power in the name of Jesus. So she walks over, she lays her hands on dead Earl, 
She began speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, praying, praying, praying in tongues. Jesus says to her, what are you doing? She said, Lord, I'm praying. He said, I didn't tell you to do that. I told you to put your hand on Earl, bind the spirit of death, and loose resurrection power. So finally she obeys him, and that's what she does. She puts her hand on Earl. She binds the spirit of death. She looses resurrection power in the name of Jesus. And Earl sits up and says, what's going on here? He was raised completely from the dead by the power of Jesus Christ because of an obedient human being that was willing to do what God said. You know, <clears throat> this brings a challenge to you and to me. It brings the challenge that are you willing to be nothing that Christ can be all? It's a challenge because sometimes he'll tell you to do things that are totally impossible, like raising Durl, dead, dead Earl. Sometimes he'll tell you to do something that might be embarrassing. Once he told me in a church service, and I, I go to a pretty large church and the pastor's up there and, you know, nobody asked me to say anything, but Jesus did. He said, I want you to get up there and say such and such. So I raise my hand and the pastor calls on me and I walk up on the pulpit and I say what God gave me to say. Well, that's, you know, that's kind of an embarrassing thing to do. And I, I don't know that, I don't know how many people would be willing to do that, but I've just decided that if I want to be used of God, which I do, then I have to be obedient 100% of the time, 100%. Because if I'm disobedient part of the time and obedient part of the time, how can he rely on me? He's never going to know when am I going to be obedient, when am I not going to be obedient. And the same thing applies to you. So we need to determine that we're going to be nothing. We're going to crucify our own will and our own flesh, our own pride, our own thinking, our own desires. Crucify everything that's of your own will and let Jesus live his life through you. Right? Let Jesus live his life through you. You know, one time... This really has stood out in my mind. There's a man that, that he's in heaven now, but his name was William Branham. And one, and he was, he was flying to a meeting where he was the featured speaker of that meeting. For some reason, his, his plane was diverted and they couldn't get into that city, so they took him to a different city and put him up in a hotel that night. He, got, he wrote a letter to his wife that night. <clears throat> this was years ago when you didn't have cell phones. And so he wrote a letter and he was, the next morning he got up, he was going to walk to the post office and mail the letter to his wife. He steps out the door of the hotel and the, the, the Lord speaks to him and says, I want you to walk the opposite direction. So in his usual obedient fashion, instead of walking to the post office, he turned around and walked the opposite direction, 180 degrees away from where he wanted to go. The Lord said, just keep walking, just keep walking. He passed some railroad tracks, and he just kept on walking. In a little while, he came, it was early in the morning, he came to a woman, and she was leaning on, on the gate to her yard, and the woman said, uh, good morning, parson. He said, how'd you know that I, I was a parson? Parson means like a minister. How'd you know? She said, my son's in my house and my son's dying, and I was praying for my son last night, and the Lord told me, he said, there's going to be a man 
He's going to be walking down your, in front of your gate early tomorrow morning. He told her what he was going to be wearing, what Branham was going to be wearing. And he says, you ask that man to come in your house and pray for your son, and I'll heal your son. So Branham went in the house. He prayed for the young man, and, and God totally healed the young man. Now, the, the reason I'm telling you that is because he had a, Hagen had a, not Hagen, Branham had a plane to catch. He knew that they were picking him up at a certain time at the hotel. He knew that it was getting later and later, and he was walking the opposite direction. He never got to mail the, the letter to his wife, but he was walking farther and farther the wrong direction, away from where they were going to pick him up at the hotel, and he continued walking until the Lord told him to go into that house. <clears throat> the other thing I want you to see is this. In the night, God told this woman that Branham would be walking by her yard the next day. That means that God could put such total trust in Branham to do what he said and walk the wrong direction, such total trust in Branham that he could tell the lady in advance what Branham was going to do because he knew Branham would obey him. Is that the kind of person you want to be? That's the kind of person that I want to be. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Lots of times people, when they don't obey the Lord, I've been in that position too. I didn't know for sure it was the Lord. I was a young Christian. He was telling me to do one. I thought, you know, I, I didn't really know. That was a, a dilemma I had at that point in my life. I, I didn't know the voice of the Lord well enough to be sure it was the voice of the Lord. But I had just a, you know, a feeling, a, a sense that I shouldn't be doing this. It wasn't a bad thing. It's just a, a business decision. But the other people that were advisors to me were advising me to go on and do this. So I went on and did what the advisors were saying against that internal feeling that I had. And in, and I was, in doing that, I was, I was not listening and obeying the voice of the Lord, of the Holy Spirit. And because of that decision, which was a wrong decision, I had to pay a heavy price for that decision. But I learned that you must always listen and obey. Now, maybe you're saying to yourself, how do I hear the voice of the Lord? Well, it's kind of like this. If you talk to someone for the first time on the telephone, they introduce themselves to you, you wouldn't know that voice. If they called you again in the next two days, you heard the same voice again, you'd, you'd, you'd begin to recognize the voice. And then in a, f a few days more, they called you again, that'd be the third time you heard. The, the, more, and the point is, the more you hear the voice the more you'll recognize that person's voice until one day they call you, they don't have to introduce it. You say, oh, hi, Joe. Yeah, I recognize your voice. How are you today? And you just start your conversation. That's kind of the way that you learn the voice of the Lord. And the way I did it, I said, the word of God says, my sheep know my voice and another they will not follow. I said, Lord, I'm one of your sheep. So from this day forward, I'm going to assume that I hear your voice. <clears throat> and if I... If, I'm, if I think I'm following your voice and it's really not you and I do the wrong thing, I say, I apologize in advance, but I'm going to try my best to hear you. And if I even think it's you, that's what I'm going to do. And I started living my life like that. So you have to decide that you want to hear the voice of the Lord. You have to listen for the voice of the Lord. And when you pray, you don't just pray 100% you talking. You pray and then you get silent and you begin to listen 
to the Lord and he will talk back to you and you will get used to hearing that voice. And once you're used to hearing that voice and you know that that's the Lord, then the second thing you must do is always obey that voice because Jesus needs not only a body, he needs your body. In order for him to function through you, you have to hear him and obey him, no matter if it's embarrassing, no matter if it, it doesn't suit your time frame, if it doesn't suit your personality. Those things are irrelevant if you've been crucified with Christ, like Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's our goal today. We hope that you enjoyed these stories of the glory of God. We believe that each story we tell will help build your faith and help to bring a miracle into your life. For more information about this program and Dr. Elizabeth Vaughn, visit her website at godsinstrument.com, her YouTube channel at Glory Stories Now, or write her at Elizabeth Vaughn Ministries Incorporated, P.O. Box 454, Argyle, Texas, 76226, USA.